Welcome to another episode of Sad But Cute with me, Shan. Trigger warning before we get started. This episode, we will be talking about death, grief, and mourning. It may bring up emotions to the surface. Uh, For those of you that are currently experiencing grief or in your own season of mourning, however uncomfortable, I do feel this is a necessary conversation, all bet uncomfortable. I encourage you to listen, even if the topic is not applicable to you, because chances are at some point it will be, and you may find it helpful, and better yet, it may be helpful for you to come alongside someone else who is currently experiencing loss. Welcome to episode three, they say third time's a charm, so we shall see. I took a bit of a break. I had a pretty gnarly flare-up, such as life with chronic illness, was traveling for a wedding, then my dad got uh, COVID and was hospitalized, and I was just not in the mind frame of putting out a podcast. And by the uproar I received, crickets, crickets, I thought it was time to put out another episode. In the light of so much loss, I was watching my friends walk through, my community walk through, our world walk through. The topic of mourning was heavy on my heart. I actually finished my notes for this podcast and started recording this episode on August 30th. And then on August 31st, my world changed forever. My dad died suddenly and unexpectedly in a sleep at home after surviving COVID. I never imagined that I would need my own words just a day later. With that being said, this is going to be as raw and real as it comes as I am deep in the throes of my own grief. I've always hated when people teach on being single once they're married, so I felt like sharing about grief while grieving was apropos. Now, some of you may question why I would choose to voice this now, but I think that it's all a part of the process for me, and hopefully it helps someone on the other side of it. This tragedy would not be my first forte into grief and mourning. Unfortunately, death has not been a stranger, nor has loss in many ways. My hope is that this would help hurting hearts and equip others to walk alongside of us. Before we jump in, let's get started with everyone's favorite segment, Honorable Mentions, where I honorably mention all things sad but cute I've come across in my everyday life. When I was just a little Shan Nugget, I had big feelings and believed that everything did as well, including inanimate objects like Every time it rained, I felt so deeply upset that the roof on our house was doing such a great job at keeping us dry, but nothing was covering the roof. In the same vein, I did not want things to be lonely, so if I came across a lone rock on a walk down on the sidewalk, I would find it friends to hang out with. 
Yes, I was sad, but cute. Now, this may not be very PC, but little Shan gendered everything, not just like colors. And let me clarify, I don't mean that colors were for specific genders. Can we all agree that red is a boy, though? I mean, everything was a gender. Letters, numbers, colors were all either male or female in my mind. We can have a lengthy, sad but cute discussion on this topic sometime if you so choose. This may be the most sad but cute honorable mention, but in middle school, I had the biggest crush on Eric Andre. Yes, that Eric Andre. He was an 8th grader, and I was a 6th grader, and our moms were friends, and I was love-struck. I may have dodged a bullet on that one, though. And it can't be honorable mentions without everyone's favorite crotchety old neighbor, Curly. As much as I razz him, I do appreciate good old Curly. I learn a little something new about him with every trash run I make, because let's be honest, that's the only time I go out back. This week, I learned that Curly has been married four times. That's not the sad part. The sad part is that Curly has gotten four women to marry him, and this girl can't even get a date. Statistics show that 10 out of 10 of us will die. And yet, this inevitable fact doesn't frighten me. This is no shock to those of you that know me well, but may surprise others, but death is something that I think about quite often. Although my last name is Adams, 1D and no monsters, as my dad always said, I'm not super morbid, but I am mortal and I face that reality every morning. I've long left gatherings and conversations with a farewell that honestly annoys my friends. See you in heaven, I exclaim. It's not that I'm always planning my demise, but death and the earthside finality that comes with it can sometimes feel like a reprieve. If there's a zombie apocalypse, please do not depend on me to survive. I volunteer as tribute. I'm setting a table for the first one of those flesh-eating beasts that I come across and letting them feast away. Previews for the movie Purge make me laugh because I know that if that were a reality, I am a goner. Not to mention that I'm a pacifist by nature. My family and closest friends know this, but I've already planned my funeral. I've written my own eulogy given detailed instructions for what's to be done with my remains, and in the case that I'm not able to communicate, pardon me, my wishes in my last days, there's no guesswork left behind for my loved ones. Death is inevitable, and yet it's taboo to talk about without seeming like you don't have an appreciation for life. But I think that's why it preoccupies my thoughts. It helps me keep tabs on the way that I want to live, the legacy I want to leave, and the way I want to make people feel. And feelings are often so heavy around the topic of death, and I get it. I don't know that I have met anyone that hasn't yet been affected by personal loss. 
I would suffice it to say, although I've never personally died yet, that death is harder on those left behind. We are left with a hole that cannot be filled, will not be filled. Everyone's world keeps on spinning while ours has come to a crashing halt. Seemingly insignificant things that we often overlooked become the scene of heartbreaking reenactments of moments past. We are thrown into a new reality, mourning. Mourning is simply the outward sign of grief. And mourning happens with any loss, not just the loss of life, but the loss of a career, the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, the loss of stability, the loss of a dream, the loss of your health, the loss of a womb. These days have been filled with lots of grief. I have been in mourning many times in my life, and I venture to say that I will be again in the future. You would think that I'd be better at it, though. But there is no right way to grieve. The most recent season of grief began on December 17th when I received the cancer diagnosis, and then again on January 19th when my life changed forever as I went in for a total hysterectomy as a single woman with a desire to bear her own children. I wasn't just mourning the loss of a part of my body, but a lifelong desire to birth my own wild hair wonders. I don't know why, but I always imagined my children having wild, curly hair and running around barefoot. While grief is a familiar, all-but-unwanted friend, this grief felt foreign and heavier and devastating. It's still hard for me to articulate the fullness of what I'm processing related to this loss. There's no replacement. There is no making it better. Chicken soup and happy flowers are kind, but they bring no real comfort. I must continue to feel, deal, heal. Feel, deal, heal. Feel. Sometimes I hate feeling so deeply, and I don't. I numb out. I smile and laugh and act as if life is normal, like I am normal, like I am still whole, and yet there's this gaping wound, this aching that eats away at me if I let it. Grief looks different for everyone. When my mom died, I couldn't handle being alone. I wanted to be with people 24-7. I needed the comfort of knowing they weren't leaving. I was with friends around the clock, and when I wasn't, the anxiety was high. I didn't want to leave my dad and sister out of my sight. I wanted them within reach always. With other losses, including the loss of my womb, I've wanted solitude to process alone. It feels sacred and intimate just for me, and that's okay. Losing my dad has been unimaginable. Even though I'm so familiar with grief, this has been a striking blow. My heart is broken, my world shattered. It feels like there's this thousand pound weight on my chest and every breath is excruciating. The grief has been more physically taxing. I feel it in my body in every way. I move slower, my mind is cloudy, my thoughts foggy. It's like I'm swimming underwater except I can't find the surface. I know that one day I will, but right now I just don't have the strength to get to the top on my own.
there's this part of me that feels that as if I stay in mourning, that he's closer, that life won't move on without him if I stay in this place just a little bit longer. And I know there's no time frame. This moment where my world has stopped feels terrifyingly holy, as in unlike the rest, and I am in no rush to move past it. Knowing the cycles of grief has given me some solace to know that I'm not actually losing it, that there is no normal to compare it to. Sometimes grief stays dormant, and then, without warning, like a sneak attack, it pops up, usually at the most inconvenient times in the most unassuming places. Dates on calendars can be devastating. The smell transports you back in time, the sound of a stranger's laugh or a familiar drive or something silly and meaningless like going over a speed bump sends your emotions swirling. True story. Writing has long been a way for me to process most of my emotions, but especially grief. It feels safe. I can always erase it, press delete, and pretend that it never happened but the raw, real emotions behind those words never go away. I did some deep mourning on Mother's Day this year. It's a day that's always stung, but this year, this year, it was heavier. So I wrote and shared, because while most of the world took their moms out to brunch or opened their annual candle and bath products, there are some of us that wept. And here's what I shared. Today just plain sucks. It has sucked since 2002. Some years the sting is subtle, and some it has been a gnawing ache that causes grief to swell up. Today sucks more. I am holding internalized funeral rites for the faces I will never see. Death of a dream, one that looks like me. Curly-headed, tiny humans running wild and free. Passing down a legacy feels like a right that has been passed down by me. Today now cuts deeper. I mourn for the womb discarded as medical waste, a life-bearing part of what once incubated death. But you can adopt. Yes, that is a miracle in and of itself. I know what I can do, but today the sorrow of what I can't weighs heavier. You get engagement rings and bridal gowns and baby showers, and I got cancer. I promise I will be there for your celebrations wholeheartedly. I will hold your babies and spoil them unapologetically, but it hurts to know that you will never hold mine. I will never hold mine. Oranges are a symbol of fertility, and their blossoms adorn brides in the days of old, and now they adorn me. A sign that felt profound, a declaration that although I no longer have a womb, my life will still be fruitful. I know I am not alone in my sorrow. I feel the weight of those who are waiting, holding on for the promised ones. I know the burden of dysfunction. I know the grief of a mother gone too soon. And yet, we feel, we deal, we heal, and we can say, it sucks. So there's that. I uh, shared that post on my Instagram along with a picture of a tattoo that I got myself for my birthday um, as referenced in that piece of oranges and orange blossoms. Um, 
a reminder that, yep, my womb is gone, but I, yes, will be fruitful. Um, and side note, I have said far worse than it sucks, um, especially since my dad died. I have said things that would make this uh, podcast have an explicit rating, so I will save you from that. Um, but it does suck. Grief sucks. Mourning sucks. Death sucks. And we can say things suck when they suck. Um, the thing about mourning is that when we aren't the ones that are doing it, we want to take it all away. We want to make everything better for the ones that hurt. We want to fix it. But grief has to be processed. And that takes time. And it's uncomfortable for the ones that we love to watch us in such deep agony. But it doesn't just go away. Even if you bury it, it it will eventually come to the surface. I'm learning that grief isn't always a bad thing. It's a sign that we loved well, that we formed an attachment, that we were passionate. And for us as humans, those things aren't always easy things to do. If that person or that job or that dream had no meaning, held no peace of our hearts, there would be no sense of loss when they went away or that chapter closed. Mm, grief isn't just reserved for death. Grief accompanies loss of all kinds, and we enter periods of mourning for many reasons. But some of us tend to invalidate our grief when we compare it to the weight of grief that others carry around us. There isn't a comparison. Grief is grief, and it's all heavy. We grieve over changes in dynamics. We grieve over friendships ending, even if they needed to. We can experience grief as we grow and adapt while those closest to us don't continue to grow in the same trajectory. We grieve over faith transitions when things feel confusing or uncertain. We grieve both personally and communally. Right now, there is widespread grief for the people of Afghanistan. We experienced grief globally with the onset of the pandemic. We experienced it on September 11th, 2001, and we're experiencing it today residually 20 years later. So how do we process and take in that immense sense of grief, grief pardon me, without being paralyzed? What's the right way to mourn? Short answer, there is no right way to mourn. But I think we have to start by talking about it, by taking away the stigma, by coming to terms with the reality that grief is a part of living as mortals. Death is uncomfortable to talk about when we are living, but even harder to cope with when faced with it because we haven't. This is all temporary. None of us will live in this in these flesh suits forever, and I for one find a bit of solace in that since mine is a little bit defective anyways. But when we experience profound loss in whatever way and those feelings of discomfort start to come to the surface, if we can name it for what it is, grief, perhaps then we can manage it. You I'm sure, have heard of the five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance. 
Acceptance, as you might imagine, is where the power lies, but it takes a while to get to that place. The stages of grief aren't linear, though. I've heard it said like this, it's not a map to follow, more like a scaffolding to navigate this unknown world. They give cancer patients lots of reading materials, and some of it's trash, some of it pissed me off, but I did get one pamphlet that was helpful, things to remember when you're grieving. Number one, it won't feel like this forever. Thank the Lord. Number two, you can handle it even when you feel like you can't. Number three, be gentle with yourself. Grief is exhausting. Number four, think in cycles, not lines. If you reach a point where you're feeling good only to feel bad again, it's not a sign that you've relapsed or gotten worse. It's how grief works and it's actually forward movement. Number five, your feelings are normal. Number six, grief can beget meaning. And number seven, you're not alone. Now, not to uh, beat a dead horse, maybe a bad joke to make when I'm talking about mourning, but the reason I want to talk about grief is because we don't. But we need to make space for mourning. It's healthy and it's necessary. I mentioned that I started recording this podcast and preparing uh, my notes prior to the loss of my dad based on the grief and mourning periods that I had been into previously and by seeing the weight of tragedy uh, around me and knowing that some people close to me were also now experiencing loss. Um, I do want to give voice to those who are grieving. And I also want to give some uh, practical ways for people to come alongside of those in their grief because no one exactly knows what to do. I know that for me, uh, my world has felt like it's spinning and people ask me, what do you need? What do you need? And I don't have the answer because the one thing I need is my dad and he is not coming back. Um, And in prepping for this podcast prior to this, I was reading about this beautiful custom in the Jewish culture called sitting Shiva. So if you'll allow me, I want to take a few minutes just to talk about this um, because I think there's some, some beauty that we can take and apply into our own lives as we come alongside those in their own seasons of mourning. Um, this custom may be familiar to some of you, um, but it might be a new concept, but again, it's called sitting Shiva. And I think it's a really beautiful way of making space for grief and not just going through the motions, but intentionally sitting with our grief, not hiding from it, not making ourselves busy to forget, um, not moving on. Um, to the next task or the next day or the next moment. Um, I'm not Jewish, so I'm sure I'm missing out on some of the nuance of this practice. But simply put, during the period of Shiva, 
the mourners remain at home, mourners being the immediate family of the person who passed away. And their friends and family visit those that are in mourning in order to give their condolences and to provide comfort. And the process dates back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And, um, It formalizes the natural way an individual confronts and overcomes grief. Shiva allows for the individual to express their sorrow, discuss the loss of a loved one, and then slowly re-enter society. Um, In my studying of this practice, essentially for the seven days after Um, the person who's passed away is buried, their immediate family members stay at home. They don't leave the home. And for seven days, their neighbors and friends take care of all of their practical needs. They bring them their food. Um, They come to their home. And all that happens, there's no TV, there's no music, there's no activities. The only thing that happens is to sit and to remember the person that passed away to share stories, to talk about them, Um, simple things like bathing and putting on makeup. All of that is is, um, not allowed while you're sitting Shiva as they don't want anything to distract you from confronting your grief, from facing your grief head on. And that seems kind of intense, but in our, our world, in our culture right now, uh, we want to run away from grief. We do not want to sit in our mourning. We busy up our schedules and we move on quickly in hopes that our world will somehow get back to normal when in reality our world's normal has forever changed with the loss of this person. And I think there's something really powerful about taking that seven day period and sitting with your grief, face to face with your grief. There's no pressure to perform. Your your basic needs are taken care of. Um, I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard it in these last 11 days since my dad passed away of people saying, I wish I knew what I could do to help. But according to this practice, once Shiva starts, people just know their role. They know exactly what's expected of them. They come and they sit and they cry and they mourn and they share stories and they feed the people who are in mourning and they come alongside of them in their grief and everyone knows what's expected of them. And at the end of this period, Because you've sat intentionally with your grief, you've processed all of those emotions, you've allowed the cycles of grief to take place and you haven't run away from them, now you can re-enter back in to society, obviously not the same way but as before, but your heart can, can face it, whereas seven days prior, not so much. And I think there's something really, really powerful about that. Um, and the observance of sitting Shiva is a requirement according to the Jewish law. And sure, people send casseroles when a loved one dies, but there's no collective shared mourning that we all just know what to do in our culture. 
Um, and I think the intention of this period of mourning and the grace that you're showed by your community within your grief is part of what that healing looks like. Um, I know for me, I wouldn't be able to get through without my community, without my friends and my family members coming alongside of me practically, um, without the text messages, without the tech checking in, without people um, making sure practically, are you eating? Uh, when's the last time you showered? Things that are by default you don't think about every day, but when you are in the throes of your grief, they seem unnecessary. And I think that this practice of Shiva is something that we could take take note from in our culture here in the U.S. I know this hasn't been the most polished or produced podcast episode out there, um, and I don't apologize for that because this is a part of my process and it's a part of my healing. Um, and I know that there are truths in this that will be beneficial to other people. Um, and um, just kind of to close this thing out, here are just a couple of things that I, little nuggets that I will hope to pass on to you. Um, of things maybe to avoid and things to do, um, coming alongside of someone specifically who is um, mourning the death of a loved one. Um, because I know so many people mean well um, and they just are so uncomfortable and don't know what to do. And so maybe you'll find this helpful. Uh, maybe you won't. And again, there's no comparison. This is for me, things that haven't been the most helpful um, and ways to kind of uh, learn from those moments and encounters and to hopefully make them better the next time. But um, I'm not ready to talk about my dad in the past. And so when you do that, it hurts. Um, also, not talking about my dad is not helpful. I want to talk about my dad. He's still very much a part of my life, and I, um, forgive me, I want him to be involved in everything that I do from here on out, even if he's not with me physically. And so I want to talk about him. Um, I've been in conversations where people have gone to mention something about my dad or reference to my dad, and I've watched them um, pause and kind of redirect their conversation. But I want him to be a part of those conversations. Um, and so, again, that may not be the case for every person experiencing loss. Um, but even asking, do you want to talk about your loved one? Because I would love to hear about it. Um, would you like to share stories about whoever that person is? Those are things that have been really um, healing to me to be able to do, especially for people that didn't know my dad personally. I want his legacy to live on, and so I want to continue to share um, to share him with them. Another thing that hasn't been super helpful is when people have said, but he's in a better place. I don't agree with that. Um, I think the best place for my dad to be would be with us, his kids. And so to um, hear that somewhere else is better than being with his kids has kind of been like a little bit of a dagger to my heart at times. Again, I know it's well-meaning, um, but language matters. 
um, God must have needed him makes God seem really cruel and it makes us seem like we didn't value and care for him. And so he was more useful um, in eternity than he is on earth. Again, not helpful. Again, well-meaning, but just not necessary. Um, Things like that. Uh, I, again, would never shame anyone who said that. And if you've said that, I'm sure I've said that at some point in my life, meaning well. But just, again, pay attention to the language. Um, Anything that tells someone how they should or should not be feeling in any given moment just go ahead and stop yourself right there. Um, Unless it's permission to feel however we're feeling, we don't really need your guidance on that. Um, And then not saying anything is also not helpful. I've been surprised by um, who I haven't heard from. And I know that um, it's awkward and you don't know what to say. And so it's sometimes easier not to say anything. But you would be surprised how comforting it is to even hear something along the lines of, I don't even know the right things to say, but I want you to know I love you. That means the world to me. Um, Anything that has expectation of the person who's in the thick of their grief um, is just not fair to that person, whether it's the expectation to respond, the expectation to show up, the expectation to give, or anything. Like, our worlds have just fallen out from underneath us, and so we don't know how to do this thing called life without that person anymore. So your expectation is an added weight that we don't really need to live up to at the moment. So If we don't respond right away, if we don't call you back, it's not because we don't love you or we don't see that you're calling. We just might be really overwhelmed in the moment. Um, So give us grace in those moments um, because we're processing the best that we can. Um, Those are just some little things. I'm sure I'll think of more as the days and the weeks Uh, pass by. I know that some people said some asinine things to me at my dad's memorial service, uh, but I will stay away from those things because, frankly, it makes me angry, and I am not trying to put out angry in the world. Um, But um, before I end this, I did want to take a moment just to honor my dad Um, I had the privilege of getting to share at my dad's memorial service just some recollections, and I would like to um, share that with you here now to give you an opportunity to get to know my dad, my hero, my favorite man in the whole world um, before this episode ends. There's no class you can take that teaches you how to prepare to share at your father's memorial. There's no 12-step guide to walk you through the most devastating tragedy you face to date. For 36 years, I've had the privilege of living on this earth while wearing the proud title of Michael J. Adams' daughter. While I made him a father, he made me a better, more compassionate human. He wore many hats, literally, literally and figuratively. He was a loving brother, a doting papa, an ever-ready servant, 
Mr. Fix-It, the hardest working man I know, and above all, the best dad that these two girls could have asked for. Life has not always been kind to us. We have walked through heartbreak before with the sudden passing of my mother 19 years ago. My dad was my mom's knight in shining armor. Before their dates, my dad would stop at the mall and spray himself with cologne at a department store to really win her over because he couldn't afford to buy his own his own cologne. He loved his cologne. Um, and now my mom and dad are together again, never to be apart. My dad was boastfully proud of his Chicago roots and a diehard Bears fan. Thus, our choice of apparel today, the team colors. He could spot Chicago paraphernalia from a mile away and would stop strangers in the street. Many can recall my dad abruptly yelling, Duh, Bears, with the greatest sense of pride. He was known affectionately by many as Big Mike. Yes, he was tall, but what made him big was his heart. His heart for people, his generous nature, his compassionate spirit, and his willingness to help in any way he could. No questions asked. Many do not know this, but he actually started attending church by serving and not the other way around. Shortly after I came to faith, I signed my dad up to build one of the Christmas sets because he was super handy and may have covertly, I may have covertly wanted to get him connected. Servanthood was always a part of his nature. By the end of the build, not only was a magnificent set complete, but my dad had found his community and his faith. Telling my dad I was diagnosed with cancer in December was almost harder than being diagnosed with cancer. I heard his voice tremble, and I knew his heart was breaking. I could sense the fear, but he didn't skip a beat and assured me that prayer would get me through and we would fight together. In the days after my surgery, my dad and sister took turns staying with me. My dad was so gentle and waited on me hand and foot, lifting me in and out of bed, walking me to the bathroom, and he did it all so gracefully. I got the opportunity to return the favor just a few weeks ago after he was released from the hospital post-COVID. For ten days he stayed with me. Many times during this stay, he would grab my hand and profusely thank me for taking care of him, and I would simply say, that's what family does, it's not even a question, and now I'm so grateful for the time with him. Time. We didn't have enough. Every moment is precious. Our words matter, our actions matter. I look around the room and I'm overwhelmed to know that so many people were touched by my dad's life, but I can't help but wonder if he knew. Did he know the impact that he made? Could he see his legacy being written? Did he know how loved and cherished he was? My challenge to all of us is to not wait with our affirmation. Tell the ones we love just how much they mean to us. Give them their flowers now, when it counts, when they can still smell them. Honor those worthy of honor. Call out the goodness in those around us. Celebrate. Celebrate each other here and now. Death stings and steals and leaves a wake of brokenness in its path, but grief is a sign that we loved well, that we are passionate, and those that we've lost touched our lives, and that we will never be the same. Grief is not to be ignored. There can be something beautiful that takes place in the moment of mourning, this tender, intimate place that we don't ever want to be at but must face. And in that place, there is profound grace available to us, amazing grace available to us. I have seen it in my own life, and I am dependent on it now. I am not ready to face this new reality without my dad. 
I would battle cancer a hundred times over if it meant I could spend one more day with him on this side of eternity. But I know my dad would not want me to get stuck in my sorrow. I can't ignore it. I will face it one day at a time, like we faced many challenges together before. This time, she's just a little farther away. My my theology might be a little bit off here, but Dad, if you can hear me, I want you to know how proud I am to be your daughter. You took such good care of us. You taught me that everyone deserves kindness, that serving others is the best way to live, that good lighting makes all the difference, and a good mac and cheese recipe will get you an invite to any party. I love you, Papa. Wait for me, okay? I'll be there one day. Well, folks, that is another episode of Sad But Cute with me, Shan. I know it was a little bit of a heavier one, but like I said, go ahead and give those flowers now while they can still be smelled. Tell the people that you love how much they mean to you. Take care of each other. I am a big fan of your life. Love ya. Mean it. Bye.